Welcome back to My Life Plus 25. Uh, my name is Mario Chavez, and for the last 17 years, I've been wrongfully convicted and incarcerated for a crime that I did not commit. And, you know, I always start every episode by saying that, right? I always tell you who I am and what I, that I've been incarcerated and that I didn't do the crime that I'm charged with. And I don't do it just to be re repetitive. I do it because I need to set the basis of what I'm about to say. It needs to set the tone for what's about to be spoken. And, you know, it's not just an opportunity for me to whine about my predicament. It's an opportunity for us to talk about what this predicament means when someone who is innocent can be convicted of a crime. And their only recourse is to speak out to the world and say, hey, look, this is happening. This is real. And hope that many of you are going to respond, or at least some of you. And... You know, as always, it's great to be here talking with all of you. And this is episode 15. And today's episode is about that very thing. It's about hope. Because look, a listener from the Crime and Justice radio broadcast with Bruce Barquette and Aida Lessering that aired on July 5th apparently visited my site, right, which is a very good thing, and sent me a follow-up question related to hope. He said, do you think it's better to be filled with hopes that may oftentimes be false or just remain hopeless. And I have to admit, I was taken back by this question because I realized that I, I was kind of questioning whether or not I came off as, as cynical in this interview or whether or not there's something about me that comes off as cynical because I, I hope that's not the case. If, if it is, there's nothing really much I can do about that. But I think his question is legitimate. And I didn't really get to present a full explanation on the interview that I did with Bruce Barquette and Aida Lessing ring about my thoughts and opinions on hope. And it's extremely relevant, especially because I just started publishing a multi-part series on Substack at audiochavez.substack.com about my experiences with hope. And I was, it was going to be just one essay, but then I realized that hope is such a big topic that it needed more room to breathe. And I guess apparently part of that room in which it needs to breathe is going to be here in this episode. So to answer the question as to whether it's better to be filled with hope, sometimes false hope, or to just exist in a plane without hope, I mean, I think I, I get where you're coming from with this question. Hope can most certainly be a WMD in your life, you know, when it's based, especially when it's based on something that you just want to see happen. And I think we've all suffered from these types of hopes. I mean, it's a desired outcome from a particular difficult circumstance. And it becomes this hope for us, and we invest ourselves into it with faith, with optimism, with, for lack of a better word, craziness, locura. And that oftentimes happens, and what oftentimes happens, excuse me, is that exactly what, what we feared would happen is that exactly what happened you know, the bursting of the bubble. And then we're, we're disappointed, we're disillusioned, and in some instances even devastated. And the more we're invested into the outcome, obviously the more powerful that devastation is. And if what I've just described is what you're experienced, what you have experienced, then it's natural that you would be thinking that it's better to be hopeless. I mean, I've definitely been there, and I imagine that many of us have probably been there. And I mean this, is that, being hopeless in this state is not a unique situation for life. I mean, pursuing a false hope is part of the learning curve to life. 
to learning to how to navigate life. I mean, in my own situation, a few of you have, have even asked me, what will I do when there's no more resources, no, no more legal team, no more paralegals or media experts or web designers? Will the fight, will the fight cease? Will it stop? And for a while, I admit, I, I battled this question because life is always easier for those brief moments, right? Right after we concede defeat, it's easier. But those lulls of easiness never seem to last because then we're confronted with the fact that we've given up on ourselves. So my answer is no, the fight would, would not stop. And here's why. Because to answer a question like this, you really need to know yourself. And trust me, having spent three years in solitary confinement, I've come to know myself. And everything that I do is an expression of who and what I am. And I challenge anyone to read anything that I've written, whether it's a book or an essay or an article, and then say that I haven't put the very best of myself into this. You know, right now, whether it's a podcast or something that I write on Substack, I think of it as potentially my last contribution to the world. And I know what you're thinking. You know, that sounds cynical or pessimistic or even overly dramatic. It's just that life has shown me that we're all capable of excellence. With whatever we bring to the table, it's just a question of whether we're willing to expose ourselves to criticism and bring it forth. And I also understand that many of you will see that my efforts for exoneration might seem pointless. My lawyer, Jason Bowles, and I are now stepping into the alternate reality of federal habeas corpus process. And there are 25,000 petitions for relief filed by state prisoners just like me. And only about 70 of us are going to find any kind of relief. These aren't exactly great odds for success. I know. And if you stop to really think about it, they're probably more like... How should I put this? They're more like nails in a coffin, and I happen to be in the coffin. But look, as I've said here before, is that there's a certain philosophy that rang true to me when I was very, very young. And I thought it was my own, right? When I was younger, I thought it was my own philosophy until I came across uh, something written by F. Scott Fitzgerald in Esquire magazine in 1936. I think I probably shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again because it's extremely relevant. Fitzgerald said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. End quote. Now, when I was younger, of course, I didn't think of this as intelligence. I just saw it as a key to survival. But nevertheless, it served me. I know all about being antagonistic to hopes. Hopes lead to building ourselves up for something that never comes about, right? But here's the thing that we all need to understand about hope. There are two faces to hope, or rather, two kinds of hope. On the one hand, hope is this beautiful, almost tangible thing that keeps us going in the most dire of circumstances. And on the other hand, hope is a drug that causes us to cling to expectations that are oftentimes not in our sphere of influence. Examples of this latter type of hope are, for instance, being confronted with all the evidence that your spouse is cheating on you, and then hoping that it's not the case. Or showing up hungover to a college exam, knowing perfectly well that you're not prepared for the exam, and then hoping that the results are going to be something other than what you know they will be. Or an example from my own case, right? 
hoping that conscience or morality would change Eloy's mind so that he would tell the truth and not save himself at my expense. You get the point, right? The first type of hope is optimism supported by your absolute best efforts. And the second is delusion, wishful thinking, desires not based on the reality of your circumstances. But the first type of hope that I've referred to is optimism supported by your absolute best efforts. And it's like magic. It's like thought in motion. It's a state of being where you can't be deterred and you can't be beaten so long as you take expectations out of the equation. And that's the key. That right there is the key, taking expectations out of the equation. Hope that is optimism and best efforts without expectation is absolutely invincible. I firmly believe this not, not based on doctrine, but based on my own life experience. Expectations are what lead us to so much unhappiness in life. And we do this every day without even realizing it. You know, that great someone who we, who we meet at the coffee shop, right? The, the, the new job, the great promotion with the great corner office, the new car, the vacation, the new business. We've all probably had some variation of these things that have happened in our life. And likewise, probably had some type of expectation attached to them. And then, and then what? We come, we come up short because maybe we thought that this person was our soulmate or the promotion at work was going to lead to a raise in pay, a nicer apartment or a car or, or better clothing or some kind of better life, right? And that's not the case. And when that's not the case, you're, you're, you're obviously going to be disappointed. Look, hope in general, I think, gets a bad rap because we often – opt for the second type of hope, which is, in my mind, isn't hope at all. It's delusion. But it's easier, right? I mean, it's, if you're facing bankruptcy, it's easier to buy a lottery ticket than it is to find an actual solution to your financial problems. Or if you're in a situation like mine, or let's say you wake up in the hospital and suddenly you're a double amputee, right? Or a routine visit to the doctor reveals an inoperable tumor the size of a grapefruit, or you get fired or served with divorce papers that you didn't expect. Whatever the situation in life is, however life-altering it may be, in the same package with that situation is also a choice. Either you choose to linger by the gravesite of all that was and never will be again, or you choose to make a new you with the tools and ingredients you have before you. And what I'm saying here may seem harsh and it may seem impossible, but with all my heart, I'm telling you, it's real. And I'm not saying that you can't linger by the gravesite of what was. Oftentimes, I think it's part of the process. It most certainly was for me. Look, the decisive knockout blow of having my life decreed no more for a crime that I did not commit was like seeing a priceless Fabergé egg hit the floor and shatter into a million irretrievable pieces. On top of this, I'm sitting in solitary confinement. And I know that I was what I was supposed to do because I'd probably given the same advice to other people. I was supposed to pick up the pieces, right? I was supposed to find a way to see the bright side of things. But I couldn't do any of those things because it occurred to me in every waking moment of my life that in one fell swoop, I had lost every single thing that I had ever wanted out of life, and it felt impossible to go on because I couldn't see the point. 
you know when when you're in the middle of having one of those great dreams that you're just not ready to wake up from yet but suddenly someone or something wakes you up and you try to go back to sleep but your mind fumbles with the remnants of what's left right but it's it's no use because your mind can't reconstruct it at least not to the point where your where your consciousness will believe it and if you can't believe it what's the point well that's exactly where i found myself on the one hand i couldn't bring myself to sleep up the pieces because those pieces were the remnants of all that I had ever wanted out of life. And maybe you'll call me a masochist because a part of me wanted and needed to wake up in that cold cell every morning and slowly walk with my bare feet over the broken shards of what was my life. I was mourning fatherhood and family and all together my identity. The material things lost were just details really. It didn't, that, those things didn't really matter. It was the intangibles that I couldn't accept losing. And I'm not ashamed to admit that death, she was a constant companion companion to me in those days. In all honesty, I would probably have stayed in that state of walking with my bloody feet over the remnants of my life until death finally convinced me to, to go with her had it not been for me having stumbled upon the most unlikely fragment to the most unlikely poem scratched in the most unlikely place, which was a concrete slab that served as my bed. Now, why I was even under my bed is a story unto itself, but basically it was winter, there was no heat in our prison unit, and it was so cold that I could see my breath, and I decided that I would get under the small cubbyhole area that was the concrete slab, because maybe it would be a degree or two warmer. And while I was under there with the concrete six, inch, six inches from my face, I finally saw what life had been trying to get me to see. But I was unwilling to look at it because I was so focused on my misery. But now it was six, the concrete was six inches in front of my face, and there was a fragment of a poem right, written on there. And this poem said, I'm going to share it with you. It said, I believe through any trial there is always a way. But sometimes in this suffering and hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter, to know someone's there. But a voice rises within me, saying, hold on, my child, I'll give you strength, I'll give you hope, just stay a little while. Now, when I read this, I didn't, of course, know that this is actually part of a very famous poem that was found in a German concentration camp during World, World War II. But I read those verses several times before finally just pushing away all thoughts of cold or everything else that was bothering me. And when I woke up the next morning, the task before me was simpler than I ever thought it would be. First, I picked the broken shards of what was from my bloody feet and bandaged myself up. Second, I swept up all the wretched of it from the floor of my life and flushed it down the toilet. Because it was clear to me that no amount of justice or exoneration could ever reinvent or replace what I had lost. Third, third, I began the long and arduous road of getting to know myself. I mean, I had some real life questions that I needed answers to. And I studied just about every religion or ideology that I came across. But none of them gave me the full truth. All they ever gave me was glimpses of the truth. And I needed the full truth. Death was still there, of course. And, you know, but I, what I did is I put her off with the simplest of tasks like writing a letter or cleaning my room or doing laundry or a book that I needed to read. 
Eventually, she went away, and I'm not even sure when that happened. One day, I just noticed that she wasn't there anymore, and I realized that I wasn't sure when I had last seen her. Four, I became friends with the most unlikely of people, a Buddhist monk named Ray. And Ray was an atheist, which I appreciated more than I ever think he knew. And he gave me the tools to silence the mental chatter and eventually come to know myself, which brought me to five. I came to know who I really am. Look, I'm someone who has survived enough trauma that death doesn't frighten me. I'm someone who will speak truth to power. I'm someone who will give voice to those who don't have a voice. And I'm someone who believes that love and empathy can do more to repair the traumas and damage to life than anything else. And I decided that this someone, this me, was someone who I would personally rescue if I could. Six. I have a purpose, a reason to live. And it has nothing to do with expectations or false hopes. It's simple. I just wake up every day and I do the very best that I can. I don't need expectations for that. Hopelessness is not a good place to be, but sometimes it's a necessary stopping point on your way back to real hope. And what I want to leave you with is this. Have hope, live hope, and be hope, all of you. But do it with your feet firmly planted on the ground and with an eager readiness to put the totality of you behind everything that you do. So I think this sums up my thoughts on hope. And listen, I encourage you to continue to follow me on my platforms. Follow me and subscribe to my platform on Substack at mariochavez.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter at LifePlus25. Send me your questions and your comments and let as many people as possible know about this podcast and start to contribute to our cause. Thank you.